great. Welcome. Just welcome to everybody from this side over here, right across the auditorium to over here. Welcome to 2017. More than anything, welcome to God's house. More than the physical building, you're the house of God. Did you know that? You're the building he, he wants to create. Uh, it's more than a physical building. Uh, but, you know, in 2017, if there's a word that has come upon my heart for this year, it's this word, lean into. Lean into his blessing. Lean into his hope. Lean into all that God has for you. Lean into his promises. Amen? Lean into. If there's ever a word uh, that we could want to put on this year, I think that's the word that's in my heart. And I believe that God would. Last weekend, there was just a word of knowledge and encouragement that came through. And, and uh, again, this morning, as I stand and worship, I just sense that God says, come on, lean into me. Even as John, the disciple, leaned on the breast of Jesus at the Last Supper. Remember that story? He just laid on the breast. It wasn't some stupid or some weird little thing he'd done. It was because of the love that those two men, sincere love, uh, uh, honest and pure love that they shared together. And just, you know, God wants us to lean into him. You know, uh, it's such an important thought and an encouragement, I pray that that would be. Because I find when I lean into him, all the other issues of life have a tendency to take second place. Second place. They don't become, they, they become what they really are, quite small sometimes. Uh, when I just give him first place, that'd be great. Thank you very much, Dale. You know, the word of God says when you give a person a drink of water in Jesus' name, there's something special about that. I had a guy knock on my door uh, yesterday, was it? I think it was yesterday, or was it Friday afternoon? And uh, a young man. And he wanted to sell me um, some raffle tickets for the um, Marta Hospital, Children's Marta Hospital for babies. And I listened to his spiel and I said, that sounds brilliant. And he says, well, do you want to... And he went for his raffle ticket and I said, um, I'm sorry, I'm not going to buy your raffle ticket. But I said, I'll tell you what, do you want a drink of water? <laughs> and I said, it's a hot day out there. And he kind of went from, oh, you're not going to buy a raffle tickets, but yeah, I'll give you a drink of water. Uh, so, you know, I just think, and then I had a bit of a chat to him, and, uh, you know, and, he, and I kind of explained why I wasn't going to buy his raffle ticket for, uh, for the Martyr Children's Home. And you might think, oh, you're nasty, and, sh you know, that's not nice. But number one, I wasn't quite sure whether he was really from the Children's Martyr Hospital. And number two, uh, I thought, you know, uh, I, there's, there's opportunity for me to give the people I actually know that's where the money will go. So if they come to your door, please use your own discretion. That might, they might be very sincere, but at least he walked away getting a cold drink of water and he knew I didn't hate him just because I wouldn't buy his ticket. Um, but uh, I don't know what that's got to do with my message. But anyway, can we turn this morning to Matthew chapter 14? Matthew chapter 14. There's a passage of scripture I want to just share with you. And uh, it says in Matthew 14, 22 to 33, it says this. It's a, it's a well-known story. Um, in actual fact, Matthew, what Matthew says in 11 verses uh, in his gospel, some other gospel writers, Mark writes in nine and John writes in six verses. So Matthew gives the most extensive um, ex explanation of this story of Jesus walking on water and Peter walking on water. In actual fact, you'll find that Mark and John actually don't even talk about John, Peter walking on water. They, they just share about the incident of the storm and Jesus walking on water to the boat. And, and I, I, I wonder why some of the gospel writers, because the truth is, um, you know, um, uh, Matthew did look at Mark's gospel and 
and, and just basically translated some of those stories and other information and wrote his gospel. And you know why? The, I could only decipher this is that Matthew, when he wrote his letters or he wrote his gospel, gospel of Matthew, and he wrote more extensively is because he had a very special connection with Peter. And you'll find in, Peter, in Matthew's gospel that Matthew often writes about Peter, about his failings and also his victories. And there was plenty of them for us to look at, isn't there, about Peter? Um, and so Matthew actually wrote this book of Matthew in, in a city called Antioch. You can go to modern-day Turkey and find his ruins there. And Matthew spent a lot of time in Antioch, and when he was there, him and his scribes wrote the Gospel of Matthew. And it just so beings that Peter spent a lot of time in Antioch, because Peter was an evangelist and a missionary, and he planted the church in Antioch. And if you remember, Antioch is where they first called people Christians. And so we see Peter and Matthew connected. They certainly connected before Jesus died and rose again, because they were both disciples. But a lot of the disciples then went their own way after Jesus died and spread the gospel. But Peter and Matthew connected again uh, after Jesus left. And that's why Matthew writes a lot about Peter. And that's why you'll find that Mark and John don't write, write about Peter as much. And they don't include the part of the story where Peter walks on water, but Matthew does. And I find it fascinating, this part. We better read it. Is that okay? Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary, or the wind was blowing hard. Now in the fourth watch, which is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning, which is still nighttime, Jesus went to them walking on the water, on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost! And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it's I, do not be afraid. And Peter asked, answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. This is one of Peter's bold moments. And so Jesus said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and he began to sink and he cried out saying, Lord, what? Save me. Great statement. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind then ceased, or the wind ceased. And those who were in the boat came and worshipped him saying, Truly you are the Son of God. They began to realise that uh, there was something pretty amazing about Jesus through this story and this incident. It's interesting, this story is not about just Jesus walking on water, but as I've indicated already, it's about Peter walking on water as well. And it always amazes me because people use the statement walking on water probably not just decades, but maybe centuries as a cliche. Have you ever heard that cliche? You know, when someone's, um, you know, to, to convince someone to do something for them, they say, I'm not telling you you've got to walk on water. Or they'll say, um, they'll say maybe along the lines of, uh, in, in relation to their life, they're saying, you know, to living without limitations, they're saying, man, I'm walking on water. Or there's another one that I had written here. Um, and sometimes in relation to a superhuman effort, people can say, well, to do that's going to take a superhuman effort. But they don't say that. They say, man, that's just going to be a walk on water moment. 
And so we use it as a cliche. Who's ever used it as a cliche? I think I probably have over the years. And it's amazing how many times from the Bible we use the Bible thoughts or Bible phrases to actually describe a story or describe something about what's happening in our lives. And it's interesting, I find it very interesting how many people who will never confess Jesus as Lord and Saviour actually use the Bible phrases to describe themselves in some way. Interesting, isn't it? Um, and if you pointed that out to them, they probably will. You know, even though they don't believe Jesus walked on water, they're certainly willing to use the phrase. I've, used a lot, I've heard a lot of sports commentators say, man, that, that, that guy on the field, he's just born again. In other words, he's really come alive. He's a better football player or a better basketball, whatever. You know, and I think, oh, wow, how many times do they use the scriptural phrases as a cliche to proclaim something about what's happening in someone's life? And this whole thing about walking on water, many times, you, well, sometimes you'll see people use it as a simple cliche, but there's so much more to it. The truth is, it seems to cause some people great grief when they hear this terminology, Jesus walked on water. Uh, because uh, people have gone to some great lengths to discredit the story in the Bible that Jesus ever walked on water, let alone Peter walking on water. Do you know in 2006, some wonderful scientists from the United States of America and in, in Israel, they joined together, they wrote, they wrote an article and published it in a journal, um, journal of, now wait for it, don't even, you don't have to pronounce this one, uh, but it's called Palaminology which means the study of lakes and streams. And this is what they claim. These are intelligent men, and I'm not trying to belittle them in any way, shape, or form. They're sincerely believing this is the truth. Their claim was that actual fact, Jesus may have appeared to be walking on water on the Lake of Galilee, but in actual fact, he was floating on a thin layer of ice. And the reason being is because on that particular night, they discovered, so they thought, is that the weather patterns were very much suited, and the water water patterns at the very time collided together and it created a thin layer of ice on some parts of the Sea of Galilee. And I quote, given all the conditions, somebody observed Jesus standing on a small sheet of ice, not visible at a distance, making him appear to be floating on a liquid water when he actually was not. He was floating on ice or walking on ice. Now, I don't know, what do you think? <laughs> this is 2006. There is some elements of obvious, how could we say, doubt about that. In actual fact, I don't believe it. The interesting thing for me is, is not only did they say Jesus was walking or were floating or standing on a, a ice. I've never seen ice in the Sea of Galilee or heard of it. I'm sure they would report it, wouldn't they? Uh, never seen it. And particularly when you think about the sea was an angry sea. It was boisterous and rolling and there was waves and everything. I mean, was Jesus literally surfing on ice? I don't know. Think about it. Credible. Maybe that it wasn't Hawaii. Maybe it was Lake of Galilee where they invented surfboards. So the reality is, is that these commentators say it was someone from a distance was looking at Jesus and thought he was walking on water, but he was on a thin layer of ice. Oh man, how wrong are they? Because the reality was the disciples were right there in the boat. They had front row seats. They saw Jesus walking on water and they even saw Peter walk on water. They didn't, it wasn't from a distance. They were literally meters from this whole story as it unfolded. 
Matthew himself, who was a disciple, could have been in that boat. And we can only assume that. But he was one of the disciples and the disciples were there in the boat. So obviously uh, he could have been there to see it. And that's why he includes it in the story. Because he not only was an eyewitness, but not only, sorry, got information from Mark, but he also was an eyewitness. And, you know, so it's interesting thought, isn't it? But how wrong uh, can we be? I think sometimes we try to explain the biblical stories because we just we, we can't think past the physical world. We can't think past that. The whole story of Jesus walking on water and Peter walking on water is a metaphor for how you live life, really. It's a great metaphor. It doesn't have to be, but I think it is. Because I've discovered... When, water, when it comes to water, you can either float on water in a boat or you can walk on water. Okay, now, floating in a boat can teach you stuff, how to steer, steer boats, how to direct the wind, how to put up sails, how to do a lot of things, you know, tie knots. Boats are great things. They give us a lot of knowledge. I've spent some time on boats. Um, I've even spent some time on a boat that sank once. That was an experience, a couple times actually. Um, but the reality is uh, boat floating is great. We all got to do it. It's a safe place. But now walking on water, that teaches you stuff that's different. It's not about the practical stuff of floating in a boat. Walking on water is about how you live your life, whether you live life reserved and predictable and sometimes we need to live life that way, or whether you live life stepping out of those comfortable places and, of course, exploring new things. That's what walking on water is about. Either way, I've discovered whether you're in the boat or you're walking on water, you're going to experience the storm. Because the rain and the sunshine on, you know, falls and shines on everybody, doesn't it? The good and the bad, the storms and the sunshine. You're going to experience a storm, whether you're in the boat or on the water walking. In the boat, uh, the tr thing is, but when you learn more about yourself, uh, you do learn more about yourself when you're walking on water uh, than you do in the boat. In the boat, you can control your destiny, generally. On the water, you have to trust God, don't you? It's a water walking experience that you, you've got no say over it, you know, what happens. The boat generally is a safe place and we all need those safe places. But the water walking, that's a faith place. We need safe places, but we need faith places too. Because sometimes there's no answers for what we experience and we need something beyond this physical world and its limitations. So I want to talk to you about lessons of walking on water. Is that cool? I want to share with you this morning that just some thoughts in relation to this because I think it's so apt and so important as we move into 2017. And here's the thing about walking on water. The very thing I see, the physical world, when you walk on water, the physical world has to bow to the spiritual world. The now let me explain that. Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians, he said this, we walk by faith. And not that he just say we walk by faith, but then he said something really important. And he says, we walk by faith and not by sight. You think about it. You know, it, the world says seeing is believing. We want to see it before we believe it. But, you know, that's not always the, the way that God works, is it? It's not always the way God works. See, Peter, for instance, um, Peter, for instance, he walked by faith. And when he walked by faith, he was able to walk on top of the water. He didn't walk on an ice sheet. He didn't walk, you know, you know he walked on top of it. 
It wasn't a sandbar. It wasn't anything else like that. The physical water had to bow to the word of faith that Peter received from Jesus. And when Peter received it, Peter actioned on that word. He literally walked on the water. So the physical world of water and wind had to bow to the spiritual world, had to bow to the spiritual world of the uh, faith that uh, was displayed there. It's interesting, isn't it? The physical limitations of many things keep us sometimes confined. But Jesus wants us to break out of that because there's a thing called faith. And I want to talk about the reality of that because the physical world limits us. The spiritual world, there's no limits. There's no limits. Um, so, the, so Peter literally said, if that's you, Jesus, would you, come, would you tell me to come on the water? And Jesus says, come. Jesus laid down the offer. And you know what Peter walked on? He didn't walk so much on the water. I know literally he did. But he walked on the, the word of, uh, of uh, truth that Jesus spoke. And Jesus said, come. And quite literally, Peter stepped out of the boat and he started to walk on the word of faith that he'd received from Jesus. Come. The promises of God. They're the things with that limitation. They're the things that the, 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 the physical world has to bow to because of the, uh, the promises of God. You know, there was a time when there was a young lady called Mary, and she was just, you know, uh, there's some debate on her age, but anyway, she was a young lady, and an angel turns up and says, you're going to conceive and give birth to, the, uh, to Jesus Christ, to a, a son. And she says, wait a second here. I don't even, I'm not even kind of, oh, look, I'm engaged, but I'm, I don't even know a man. I've never been involved with a man. How can I give birth to He says, don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you'll conceive. And she says, oh, man, I okay, well, let it be as the Lord says. And the angel, Archangel Gabriel says this, for with God nothing will be impossible. Possible. Do you know there's physical limitations of, 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 of your ladies, your womb? Is that, and you'll understand what I mean, we all will. The physical limitation is that it needs a seed from the male species of this world for there's something to be conceived. But the reality is, there's, when God comes along, it doesn't need that because God can bypass the physical limitations and create something incredibly spiritual and wonderful, and He doesn't need to rely on this world to do it. And that's why, that's why Jesus was born. Because God overcome the physical limitations. In actual fact, Joseph and Mary uh, uh, were not involved together, even after their wedding. They weren't involved until the whole situation. You know, it was sometime down the track. And so Mary truly was the Virgin Mary. And you think about the reality of that. That means the physical world had to bow to God's world of faith and truth. See, we live in a world that constantly wants to push its agenda of this physical world. You know, you think about the world of creation versus evolution. And the evolution debate is that, of course, there's something crawled out of the mud. In, in very note form here, crawled out of the mud, it started to develop legs. It's developed legs, so it started to crawl and it started to, you know, swing in trees until finally it stood upright and bang, here we are today. You know... Men give us that theory is because they, the physical world, they could only think that's the best, um, the best demonstration or the best answer we have for the creation of humanity. I want to give you good news. God overcome the physical world and said, let there be light. God overcome the physical world. He wasn't limited by the physical world. And he said, let there be uh, trees and animals and human beings. And he said, you know what? It's very good what I've created. It just took a word from his mouth and it was created. That's the power of our God.
God overcome the physical through the spiritual. The physical has to bow to the spiritual. See, the world of greed over giving, let's think about that reality. You know, the world says, don't give your money away to the poor, or don't help, don't give tithes or offering, because if you give, you'll have less. But God says, no, 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 no. When you give, you initiate a seed of faith that actually means I have to activ- I'll activate that and it'll come back to you so you can even be a greater giver. See, the spiritual overcomes the physical. The physical has to bow when we give. In the natural, you say, no way, I can't do that. I can't give. I haven't only got so much. Or why don't you just give a tenth of what that is and watch God do amazing things? See, if, if we were to talk about the world of seeing before you could believe, the world's physical limitation says you should never believe until you see with your own eyes. But God says believing before you see is even a greater blessing to your life. There's a man, a young disciple came to Jesus, well, didn't come to Jesus, he said to the disciples, I'm not going to believe until I see the holes in Jesus' hands that he's resurrected from the dead. His name was Thomas. And then one day Jesus turns up, very gracious, and he says, here I am, Thomas, says the holes, my hands and feet, and Thomas says, I believe. And Jesus says, blessed are those who see and believe, but, even, but those more blessed are those who believe but do not see. So the world will limit you to the seeing. Because so often we want to see something happen. But you know what? When we're believing and trusting our Heavenly Father, things can be happening that we do not see. And it's only months or years later that you see sometimes the result of what you believed for back then. So what are you believing for today? Because if you don't start believing, you're never going to see it. Start believing before you see so that one day you'll see because of your believing. These two things gave Peter the ability to walk on water. Number one, Jesus, who was the manifest word. What's it say in John? John said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's Jesus. He was the manifest word. He was the word. And Peter's focus was on the manifest word, Jesus, when he stepped out of that boat. He looked at Jesus. The second thing he walked on, as I've said already, was not just the manifest word, Jesus, but the rima word that Jesus spoke. He said, come. He said, come. I want to tell you that the promises of God, when you take the promises of God and you focus your attention on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that Jesus, that tell you what, that's when faith is birthed. That's when faith is birthed. And you can take the promise of God because the promise of God will never be, has got the potential But the potential is just potential until you take it and lean upon it, stand upon his promises and take a hold of it as yours. And then faith is birthed and then you see something happen. That's amazing. And the physical world has to bow to the spiritual world. That's why Jesus actually said, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Because when you take God's words that he's spoken, the promises of God, and you mix it with a simple belief and trust in our God, you know, that's when power is omitted. That's when power comes about and things change. Things change. Malcolm and Sandy talked, Malcolm talked about that precious Yvonne last Sunday night. Things have changed. Something's happened in her body. 
The doctors are amazed. Why is that? Because you simply take a prayer or a word of faith that, you know, we can lay hands on the sick and they can be whole. Now, does it, now why doesn't everybody get healed when we pray for them and lay hands? I don't know, but I'm just going to continue to pray. <laughs> Not going to make me give up. See, his words, his promises are powerful. And you know what? They overcome the physical limitations of this world. Nothing else will overcome the physical limitation. There's two things the world cannot um, put down. There's two things that the world cannot make small, and that is the manifest word of Jesus Christ. Jesus cannot be made small. He is unlimitless and the manifest truth that he proclaims, the word of God. Those two things are powerful. Those two things are amazing. And this is the victory. Do you know what the victory that overcomes the world? When we have those things happening in our life, we have faith. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. 1 John 5.4 says, even our faith. Or in other words, our trust and belief that when we stand upon his promises, we believe in him, uh, that something has to shift and the physical world has got to bow to the spiritual. Here's the second reason that I believe in walking on water. Uh, and this year, you've got to try it. Keep your focus. When you walk on water, to walk on water successfully, you've got to keep your focus and not be distracted. Let me explain something here. Becoming distracted means losing focus on the truth and start to look at the circumstances, the problems, the storms of life. And there's plenty of them that go around our life sometimes. You know, they want to distract us. It's, we've got to keep focus, got to keep focus. And the circumstances can make us fearful like Peter was, fearful in the water. The circumstances can make us angry or disappointed or anxious or, 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 uh, or dis, uh, uh, resentful or revengeful or unforgiving. A myriad of emotions can happen in our life and um, emotions aren't wrong. It's just that we don't need to bow to them. They need to bow to us. And there's one way I've discovered how to keep our emotions in, you know, uh, bowing to me. You know, that, that worry that wants to rise up sometimes in the midst of what's happening is that I keep my focus on the one who gave me a, a future and a hope, and that's Jesus. Keep my focus. Some people think that um, the reason that we can sometimes have uh, fear is because of the circumstances, certainly. But you know, it all starts when you dis allow your eyes to turn to something else. If you didn't lose your focus on the truth, you wouldn't have the fear or the anxiety or the worry. You just got to keep focused. You notice what Peter had to do as he stepped out of the boat it actually says that Peter, uh, could, he, it's when he, he saw the wind and the waves. You know, when Peter stepped out of the boat, the reality is he walked for several meters, we can assume, in faith. Where was he looking? He was looking at Jesus, the manifest word of God. But when he saw the wind, when he lost focus, it's not when he got fearful. We sometimes think, well, I lose my faith because of fear. Faith and fear are not opposites. It's faith and in loss of focus that are opposite. We often talk about, oh, fear is the opposite of faith. No, it isn't. Before there comes fear, before there comes unforgiveness, before there comes resentment or anxiety, there comes a loss of focus on the Saviour. Can you see that? That's what Peter's problem was. He didn't lose, he didn't all of a sudden get fearful. No, he started to lose focus and he started to look at the wind and the waves. That's what the verse says, isn't it? And then he started to fear. See? Fear is not so much because we look at the problem as as much as we stop looking at the source of faith. That's what happens. He was overcome by that. 
because he stopped looking. The source of faith and the source of trust and the source of confidence and the source of strength is the Word of God and the Lord Jesus himself is described as the Word. It's that, it's that what gives us strength and confidence and a hope and a future. And losing focus on the source of all that, um, Peter focused on the wind and the waves and, uh, and the wind and the waves that just several moments earlier he was able to negotiate by walking on top of them. Now he can't. What's changed? He just lost focus. Come on, church, in 2017, keep your focus. Because when you keep your focus, you'll keep your faith. So fear comes because he lost focus, not because he was afraid to start with. He wasn't afraid. He was full of faith to start with. So, you know, sometimes we can get hung up on faith. I've got to get faith. I've got to have faith. Forget about faith. <laughs> Never thought you'd hear me say that. <laughs> Listen to what I'm about to say now. The truth is, faith is when you just keep your focus on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Don't, don't get constipated over the fact that I've got to have faith. No, no, forget about it. Just focus on him. Keep the manifest word of God in your sight. That's Jesus. And the word of God in your heart and faith will come automatically. Faith will come automatically. And that's why, and that's why Jesus said, are you a little faith? Jesus didn't say you who fear to Peter. He says, are you a little faith? It's because they lost focus and their faith flew out the door. It's not fear that stops faith. It's often the loss of focus that stops faith. So here's the second. So we, we just got to, I always remember, always remember, I, I know I've mentioned this before, but when I, when I was growing up, I might be not mentioned this, I lived on a farm and, and, and there, was, there was no um, septic toilet. There was no sewage, so to speak. It was that little house at the back of the, you know, off in the distance in the back of the yard. Do you, do you, anybody ever experienced that? Everybody, anybody under 35 never experienced that. But the reality is I had one of those, and as a little boy, there was a myth that went around. I, I lived on a farm, and so the, it was called the outhouse. Sometimes it was called the thunderbox. And my dad created some elements of problems for us kids. My sisters tell me this. It's because he used to go, you know, about once every three days to that little outhouse out the back of the property there, the back of our farmhouse. And he'd get inside there because he had to take the can from under the toilet and he'd go and empty it in a big pit somewhere, you know, empty what was in the can. And um, what he'd do is when he goes in there, he'd grab a stick and he'd hit, he'd shut the door and he'd hit the walls and make a commotion. And all my sisters said they used to stand and what, what is happening in there? And dad would come out and says, I just killed that scary guy. And he made this story up about how there was a boogeyman who lived in the outhouse. So what do you think that done for me? <laughs> so I, I thankfully only lived on the farm, you know, as a little boy. And we moved into a city after that. And I didn't have to face the outhouse that much. And then in, in, in the city of Gympie, they had these things called toilets that actually you flush. And that was incredible. It's inside the house. I was amazed. Sit there and just flush it and watch because, you know, all I ever knew was what my sisters used to go into this room out the back and scared stiff of it. So when I came to Gladstone, it was to my great grief that I found out there was one of these in this city. In my backyard, in Gladstone, in those days as a nine-year-old, had an outhouse. My goodness, my fears all came upon me. There was a boogeyman in there and he was going to jump on you as soon as you sat on that seat. 
And so how do you think I felt? So I would, I would, in trepidation, you know, after dinner and it was dark, I'd have to go down the back stairs and across the back you know, yard into that corner of, of the property because you had that little, it needed to be away from the house because there was an odour that went with that place. And, we'd, and I'd open the door and I thought, as soon as I sit on that toilet, someone's going to grab me. And unless I had to do a number two, I didn't usually go. That's why the banana tree grows so well on the outside. Do you know what the problem was? In the daytime, I'd go there and do what you have to do. And you know, not once did someone grab me when I was in that toilet. There was no boogeyman, no scary man, not once. But you know, at nighttime, something changed. And I'd walk down those stairs, and no matter what the truth was, no matter what the reality was, my focus was distracted, and all I could think of was what was going to grab me. The truth was that it had never happened. There was no one in the toilet. No one. Never was, never was going to be, and never will be. And yet when I faced that toilet at night time, man, for some reason someone was going to... You know what happened? I just lost focus. You say, oh, no, you, you got fear. No, I, before fear came, I lost focus. I lost focus on the reality, on the truth. And sometimes as people, we lose focus on the truth, on the truth and the, the factual stuff we know. And when we lose focus on it, we will allow doubt and then fear or anxiety or, or anger or unforgiveness or whatever it is comes into our life. So folks, the story and the, 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 the meaning behind the story is you've got to keep focused because during the day, I was fine. When I kept focus, it's, you know, lights are out, it's, the sun's out, no, no one could have crept in there and I was fine. But for some reason it changed at different times at night time. And you know, we've got to stop it. Uh, we've got to keep focus. Focus. Here's the third and last thing this morning that I want to talk about. Third, if you're going to walk on water, you've got to understand the greater the storm, the greater is love. Let me explain something. Jesus had no trouble stopping the wind. Do you notice when Jesus stopped the wind? When they got back in the boat. And I often thought about this. It says in verse 32 right there, when they got in the boat, the wind what? Ceased. It would have been far easier, wouldn't it, if for Jesus to stop the wind when Jesus and Peter were out in the water and they could have walked back on a nice, uh, a nice uh, level water playing field, maybe floated back on some ice drifts, who knows. Uh, but, you know, they could have walked back without the storm around them. Wouldn't that have been good? But you notice Jesus didn't do that. He could have stopped it whenever he wanted to stop it. But he stopped it when they got back in the safety of the boat. Why didn't he stop it when they're out in the water still? You know, because Jesus obviously supported Peter as they came back to the boat, if not carried him. Why didn't they stop it? Have you ever asked that question? Why do they even bother to put that verse in there? Because they wanted us to know that Jesus could stop it when he wanted to, but the reality was he didn't stop it when the storm was still at its peak. And I asked the question, uh, you know, sometimes we ask the same question, God, wouldn't it be easier if you just stopped the problem for me and then I wouldn't have to go through it? Wouldn't it have been easier if Yvonne didn't have a heart attack and didn't have a brain fall over and, and have a brain bleed? Wouldn't it have been easier? No, no, no. We're all sitting here this morning with, with faith and courage because, man, the physical overcome, I mean, the spiritual overcome the physical. And, you know, when we go through problems, there can be some great purpose in it. Jesus doesn't bring the problems upon your life, but I tell you what, he certainly allows you to go through them. And what he does is there's some great purpose comes out of it in the midst of it. <laughs> 
I prefer not to go through it, God, but now that we're in the middle of it, and it's one thing that I find is incredible, that we can perceive that God doesn't care sometimes for us, he doesn't really exist, or, or you know, does he ever love us anymore because we're going through this problem? Is it, is it too much to think that Jesus actually would allow us to face adverse situations in lives for a purpose? And here's the purpose. Peter learned that firsthand that in the storms he won't let us go. In the storms, he won't let us go. Have you ever noticed? Jesus must have escorted Peter back. You know what? We never know how much we have to trust him until we realize how much we can't save ourselves. We never know how much we've got to trust him until we realize that we can't save ourselves. Our elements of stubbornness and self-centeredness and I'll look after myself, please. I'm okay. And in this fast-paced Western world, we live in, you know, we just fly through life and we sort out our problems ourselves. And that's good. God's given you the confidence and the ideas and how to sort out some problems. But there's times that come that we've just got to trust him. And sometimes the problem's too big for us to tackle. And where do we run then? I tell you what, he wants to let you know that in the greatest storm is the greatest love. He's still there. He's still there. God wants us to be confident. And that confidence comes out of knowing that in him we can trust our acceptance of, of that does not mean we're weak, weak or we're wimps, but our trust in him is the strength, is the strong thing to do. Peter walked on water, but that wasn't his greatest moment of triumph. You know, some of us look at this verse and think, geez, greatest moment was walking on water. Well done, Pete. But you know what it really wasn't? For me, his greatest moment was when he cried out, Lord, save me. Because all of us have got to come to that point. Maybe most of us have done that because we've become Christians. But I'm talking about in life in general. When we're out there walking on water and we say, Lord, you know, we acknowledge the fact that there's some confusion in our life. There's some struggle. And we can't forget to look to God and rely on his ability because our reasoning doesn't give us the answers. And it's in him that we truly can live and move and have our being. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And what? Lean not unto your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Lean. Lean not unto your own understanding. Lean into him, not into the world. Lean into him. If we could only utter those words... Lord, save me. You know, I think, in a, in, I think every day, I think not those exact words, but there's something in our hearts that's got to be, Lord, I need you today. I need your wisdom today because, you know, I go through life and I continually confront issues that I haven't got the wisdom or ability to work out myself, but I'm thankful that I have a God that I can trust in. And while I'm trying to work it out, he, if I give it to him and hand it over to him, he's actually there. He's never leaving me, never forsaking me. What an incredible God we serve. You know, there's a part of my toilet story that you haven't heard, and no one's heard this part. <laughs> if you thought the story was ended, it hasn't. When I lived in Gladstone as a nine-year-old, because sometimes at nighttime after dinner, I'd go to Dad and I'd say to my Dad, Dad, I've got to go to the toilet. And he knew exactly what I meant. He said, no problem. He said, and he'd, he'd, he'd go, well, actual fact, I have to go too. And even if he didn't, he was a good dad. So we'd walk down the bottom stairs, walk across the grass, and he'd always go first. And even if he didn't, he'd go and sit there for a while. 
with the door open, pants down, have a chat to me. I'm looking for the boogeyman. Never happened. He'd smile, pull his pants up and say, your turn. I'd go in with great confidence. Sit down, door open. He'd sit and have a chat with me. Do what I had to do. Come out, all was good. Do you know why I could do it? I didn't lose focus. It's because my father had gone before me. (laughs) That was supposed to be a really clincher, clutch point. It's not humorous. (laughs) But he had. And you know, our God, (laughs) he definitely goes before us. Do you notice Jesus walked on the water before Peter did? Jesus never expects you to go where he hasn't been before already. And you know what? He won't. And even when I sat there in that little outhouse, my dad didn't run up the stairs and giggle. Ah, I'm going to make him, you know, or we'll go around the back. My dad giving, gave up hitting the inside of the toilet with a stick. Praise God for that. He realized he'd scared us enough. And our God goes before us. He checks the room out. He says, it's okay, you can enter. It's okay. And even when you do, I'm going to be right there. I'm not going to leave you nor forsake you. I'm going to be there for you. And you know what? When, 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 when my father was there, as I sat, I just had to focus on my dad all the time. He, sat, he stood there, literally, as the door opened, and I would just focus on him, and I never gave one thought to that scary man that was supposed to materialize and jump on me when I sat on that toilet seat. And because my focus was on my dad. And I think some of you have got to refocus in 2017. You've got to say, where's my focus? Is it on your heavenly father? Where's my thoughts? Because when you focus on your heavenly father, the natural world has to bow to the spiritual. And when you focus, faith rises automatically. You don't have to go chasing after faith. You just got to go chasing after him. Faith rises. When you read his word, it's the promises of God become revelation and truth to you so you could stand on his promises. Church, in 2017, we've got to lean into, not away from. Our God, lean into Him. Lean into Him. Can we stand this morning as we close? Just as you stand there, I want to pray for you. And my heart is, my prayer isn't more powerful than necessarily than yours, but I just want us to be able to declare together that our God is able. Your God is not limited by the physical world. In actual fact, the spiritual has to bow to it. And when we focus, give, continue, don't lose our focus, faith rises. And when we realize that He is the greater the storm, sometimes the greater the love, and He's there always. And if you're here this morning and just say, yep, I just want to lean into Him more and more. I wanted you just to lift your hand this morning and I just want to pray together. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit just to have His way in our hearts as we stand as a congregation, leaning into Him. Maybe you just feel like you've lost focus a bit and you need to refocus upon the truth. 
and not upon the lie, not what the devil wants to feed you, but what God wants to tell you, the promises of his word. If you're lost, please raise your hand this morning. We just pray. Behind your hand is just your heart and say, yep, let's pray together. Father, today, we just say that, God, we want to lean into you. Just as John leant upon your breast, it was a physical act, but his heart was for you. His heart was connected to you. And he was an incredible disciple that just done amazing things for you all through his rest of his life. And Father, we, we blow it. We fail. We're a bit of a Peter. We have some victories. We have some mistakes. But God, today we say, let us help us to be a people that would lead into you. That we, Father God, would just keep focus. And as we focus, we know that faith will rise. As we maintain our attention upon you, God, upon your Son, life goes so much better. And today we need that. And we say, like Peter did, Lord, save us, in a sense. Sometimes save us from ourselves, because ourselves wants to scream all the natural things that's happening and wants to tell us what to do. But God, you give us life. So today we say, Father, we need you. Save us. Help us. But never forget that you don't leave us nor forsake us. And as we stay, remain focused, Father, we'll realise that this physical world has got to bow to the spiritual. And we thank you for that today. And we commit ourselves to you, whether we're a mum today who's battling with a whole bunch of kids, or whether it's a father today struggling with work commitments and trying to love the family, or what maybe it's a young person struggling with different thoughts that they just don't want to think today, or maybe wondering about their future jobs or work or school, or maybe going into university. We can trust Him. Someone needs to know today that God, if you do the little possible things, God will do the impossible things. You've just got to read His Word. You've got to hang on to His promises. That's the possible things. You've got to take His truth. And if you do that, God would say, wouldn't I then be able to do the impossible? And do not be deterred, Lord would say, that it, it takes more than just the day for the, the good to come about. Because sometimes it takes a week or a month or a year. Sometimes my times are not your time, says the Lord, but my times are the best time. Because as you've heard many other times, I'm, God is seldom early, but never late. And the Lord, we want to speak faith into your heart in this year, and He wants to speak life to you. He says, come on, lean into me. And those dreams and those desires, won't they come to pass? And those good things you want to see happen, won't they come to pass? Even as you would trust me, as you would focus upon me, and you would stand strong. So Father, we thank you, Father, for every person today, and we commit ourselves to you. God, I know the delivery of this message isn't necessarily perfect, but I know the deliverer, that's the Holy Spirit, is. So quicken it to each heart and let there come life out of it. Because your word is alive and active and sharper than anything, Lord. And it can divide and work in our hearts so wonderfully. So do that this morning. And we ask that in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed, said, Amen. Come on, let's just sing this one last song we pray.